Welcome to the Front Office Exchange, where we take a look at the careers of executives and rising stars within the sports business. Now, here's your host, Jake Failing. episode 29 of the Front Office Exchange podcast, where today we meet J.D. Kershaw, Vice President of Marketing for the Columbus Blue Jackets, another hockey guy. Today's podcast combines a little of everything from our last few episodes. I mentioned hockey, but J.D. was a former player who learned quickly that he wanted to move to the business side of the sport. One of my favorite parts of our conversation was about this transition. Since he was still in shape and a strong player, he would work out with the San Jose Sharks. That's the club that offered him his first off ice roll and he said that he was immediately pegged as quote a hockey guy jd was more interested in the business side however than hockey ops so he had to make a conscious effort not to pigeonhole himself early in his career. He walked through that. It was a really fascinating conversation. After a later stint with NHL Europe overseas, J.D., via an assist from his wife, I told him he's got to recognize her for that, they relocated to the U.S. to help launch the Columbus Blue Jackets. And he hasn't looked back since. It was great to hear about Columbus, the city, and how it surprises and impresses the national media and visitors every chance it gets when it hosted the All-Star Game and the NHL Draft, for example. J.D. was a blast, and his insight into marketing a team without a consistent tradition of winning, yet, and in a smaller, non-traditional hockey market was fascinating. So without further ado, J.D. Kershaw of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Hello, J.D. Kershaw. Welcome to the Front Office Exchange Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Sure. Well, I was obviously uh, excited to be referred to you by uh, Doug Worf, mutual friend there. He's obviously had some uh, career changes since we were initially introduced. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, it's great to get some uh, hockey, professional hockey executives that, uh, to come on to the show. So thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. So I'd love to walk through your career uh, eventually here at some point, but uh, right now for the Columbus Blue Jackets, you are vice president of marketing. So let's start there. You've been in that role in particular for, it looks like about five or six years. So let us know a little bit about your role and if you can, (laughs) what a a typical day-to-day looks like, let's say on a game day. Yeah, so, um, you know, I I think it's, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to make it sound like, you know, what I do is the same for every team. I think it's different depending on, you know, kind of where you're at in your business cycle and such. But, um, you know, in, in general, um, I work very closely with, uh, with the ticketing folks um, and, and the marketing team and oversee all the initiatives uh, to, to essentially drive ticket sales. So under that, you know, you'd have promotions and advertising and, um, you know, different ticket, uh, you know, different ticket, um, initiatives. And essentially right now, you know, for, for us, where we're at, uh, as an organization, um, although it's getting better <laughs> with the team performance, um, you know, it's all, it's primarily all about ticket sales. I, I do get involved, um, more recently on, uh, building operations type stuff. Um, but, but for the most part, you know, the vast majority of my time is focused on ticket sales. Okay. Uh, and you are a career hockey guy, right? You know, we talked before uh, we recorded, you played a little bit too. Is that right? Yeah. So when I, um, I'm originally from Canada, but I went to, I went to both high school and college in the U S and then, um, after my college days, um, I played a little bit of pro hockey, um, three years in Europe and, and a year here in the minors. Um, and then I got right into the, into the business, uh, 
uh, with uh, with the San Jose Sharks in the uh, in the mid '90s, and have been in the NHL in some capacity ever since. So, what uh, talk a little bit about the San Jose market? And obviously, the market in general, everybody knows, impossible to live there. <laughs> Just the cost of living out there is crazy. But they love their sharks, uh, and you were there for about three years, and then you went to NHL Europe uh, back over there in Europe. So, walk us through that transition a little bit. Yeah, so I went to San Jose in '94, and that's the the, the '93-'94 season was their first season in San Jose. Prior to that, they had been playing in the Cow Palace in uh, in San Francisco. So that's when they built the arena in San Jose. Um, I got there in March of '94. Um, they had a, a a relatively good year that year. Uh, it was amazing. They they snuck into the playoffs in the eighth position in the West and. Um, played Detroit in the first round and actually beat Detroit. And, and, and as I look back, that was a, that was a huge launching pad for the Sharks, right. in my opinion. I, I don't know if they would be the franchise they are today if they hadn't had some of that early success. Wow. Um, it was just amazing to see what happened to that Bay Area, you know, when they, when they got in the playoffs and they knocked off the Detroit Red Wings. I mean, it was a huge, huge deal. Um, but I spent four years there, um, you know, in, in marketing, but really focused on, on grassroots initiatives and growing the game. Um, and, you know, I knew I wanted to do more and I wanted to stay on the business side, um, but I wanted to do more. And I had this unique opportunity to go back to Europe and work for the NHL. Um, the NHL used to have an office in Zurich, Switzerland. It's no longer there. Um, but I went there for two years and it was great because and not only did I get to do a lot of work in a lot of different countries with a lot of different people, but because the office was so small, it was only myself and another another Canadian guy. Um, it, it was so small that we got to dabble in a lot of different things. I mean, I, I got to do you know marketing, fan development, advertising, and promotions. Uh, I got to do some licensing. I got to do some radio and television stuff. So it was just a great experience to to touch a lot of different parts of the business. And do it in a lot of different countries. Um, very challenging at some at, at sometimes, but uh, just just an amazing experience. And um, I got married during that time too, and we actually had our first child in Switzerland, and um, wanted to get back closer to family. And that's that kind of created the transition to uh, back to Columbus. Um, my wife actually worked for the Blue Jackets as well for the first. 11 years. So it was nice. We got to kind of come in as a, as a package deal and help, help start the, uh, help start the Blue Jackets franchise. Wow. Uh, so Switzerland, another place with just a really low cost of living, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, exactly. I went from the Bay area to Switzerland. I'm not, it, you don't yeah, mess around. it was quite, it was quite a pleasant change when I moved to Columbus. I can tell you that I can't, your paycheck like tripled. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, yeah, the cost of living is pretty crazy in those places. Yeah. So I'm always curious, as someone who played a, a little bit, how was that transition for you initially? I guess it would be going back to the Sharks experience. You know, was there a period where you said, um, you know, maybe this isn't for me? Or did you always know, you know, hey, I, I'm not going to play for long. Um, I'm really more focused on getting into the business side of the sport. Yeah, you know, it was interesting. I could tell. So when I went to work for the Sharks, I had just finished playing. Um, I was still in pretty good shape. Um, a lot of the work that I was doing was youth hockey related, and I was spending a lot of time on the ice. Um, there was a lockout, and uh, you know, between the players and the owners shortly thereafter, and 
you know, I was skating with the Sharks guys all the time. And, you know, I was getting this reputation as a, you know, as a hockey guy. And, and it was weird. I, I just, I knew that I had to kind of break that. If I was going to, if I was going to go anywhere in the business, I knew I kind of had to break that mold a little bit as, Hey, he's just the hockey guy and he runs hockey schools and he does this and that and grassroots. And, you know, so I just, uh, that's why I made a, you know, a, a conscious decision to, Hey, I, I got to go do something different. I got to get more experience. Um, and there's been times through, throughout my career where, I've had the chance to go in onto the hockey side of the business and, you know, whether it's in coaching or scouting or whatever, and right. which a lot of guys, you know, with my background do. And, you know, I've, I've just, I just made the conscious decision early and, and have stuck with it that, you know, um, I, I want to be on the business side. I, I, I really enjoy it. And, you know, uh, the way I look at it too, ultimately, if I, if I would ever be so fortunate to be the president of a team one day, well, then I get to dabble in both sides. Sure. Um, so it sounds like an incredible experience in NHL Europe. And then you said you, you come to the Columbus Blue Jackets as a package deal. Walk me through that recruitment process. You know, some companies, some teams are okay with that. Um, some aren't. Um, and I'm just talking business in general. Uh, but what was that like for you coming back to the States and saying, you know, did you say, hey, you need to hire both of us? Or what was that like? <laughs> well, I met my wife uh, in San Jose. She had worked for the Sharks too, so we had started dating there, and then uh, and then we got married, and she came over to uh, to Switzerland. But um, it was actually interesting because we made the decision that we wanted, you know, when our son was born, we wanted to get back closer to family. Um, and my wife had a connection. Um, my wife, prior to working in San Jose, had also worked in Tampa, and one of the executives in Tampa was. Uh, years later was here starting the franchise uh, in Columbus. So my wife had a connection with him and um, it actually started through my wife. My, my wife started to have conversations with them about being their, uh, their director of event presentation, running all the entertainment in the building. And um, I said, well, you know, and, and she had an interview and I said, well, if we're going to move to Columbus, uh, you know, I might as well come with you and check it out and, and see what it's all about. And, so while she was here on her interview, the gentleman who was the head of the of the organization on the business side at that time, um, I met him and he said he didn't know who I was. But when I told him, he was like, "Really?" I was like, "Well, why don't why don't you come as well?" <laughs> so it kind of it, it kind of happened by happened by happenstance, wow. but you know, and it actually was driven by my wife. Well, you owe her as an assist, right? I mean, that's a point. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Nice. So, all right, let's now let's talk about Columbus just in general. I, I always hear these things. You hear about test markets and things like that, that Columbus is just this perfect little, not too small, but not too big, but still has all the amenities. So uh, you've been there for, gosh, I mean, you're going on 20 years. So can you brag on Columbus a little bit for me? Yeah, it is. It is just a great great city. Um, and it's changed a lot since I, even since I've been here, um, it, you know, it does, it has, it has a lot of, uh, some small town feel to it, but then it has some big city feel to it as well. And it's very unique that you have a school the size of Ohio state just down the street that brings a completely different, you know, element to it as well. Um, it's a growing city. It's a young city. Um, there's a lot of young entrepreneurs coming here to do different things. And, um, 
as I said, just just in the 17 years I've been here, I mean, it's really, really grown and some great things happening and it's exciting. And, you know, I'm just, what I'm really, I, I've seen it over the years. So I, I first noticed it when I was responsible for hosting the 2007 NHL draft here in Columbus. And, um, you know, people from all over the world come to the draft and to, you know, especially the media and, and to a T, they all walk away going, oh my God, I had no idea what a great city Columbus is. And then it happened again in the All-Star game, you know, when we had the All-Star game here. People from all over the world come here and they all leave and they go, oh my God, I had no idea what a great city is. And, you know, what I'm really looking forward to is the day where where the team has some sustained success and they can go two or three rounds in the playoffs on a regular basis. They're on national TV you know, every other night playing whoever, but, but just getting that exposure for the city, because, uh, you know, I, it's a, it's, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a hidden gem as far as I'm concerned, but it's just a, it's just a great place to live. And then going back to some of the things we were talking about earlier, you know, the cost of living and the education and the great place to raise kids. And when, when you look at all those things, I mean, I, I've been in the league you know, whatever it is now, 23, 24 years, you know, all things considered cost of living, weather, all that kind of stuff for me, their ownership, uh, there's not many better places than Columbus. Wow. You heard it here. And and again, I mean, that's what I hear as well. So, and then just your career there uh, specifically, you've had multiple roles. So can you walk through your progression a little bit? Yeah. So when I, when I came here from, uh, from Switzerland, um, I came originally came in as a director of fan development, um, was in that role. I can't remember so long ago now, but whatever, five, six, seven years, something like that. Um, you know, really tried to help grow the game here and get it kind of going. And we're, we're very fortunate that our ownership also owns a number of different rinks, uh, in the area. Our owner had the foresight that, Hey, if we're going to bring an NHL team here, we better do whatever we can to, to allow the game to grow, um, you know, and, and, and put some money, uh, into in, in the infrastructure to allow that to happen. So we own a number of double sheet facilities. Uh, we have a single sheet facility, which is actually our practice facility attached to the main building. Um, you know, so the infrastructure was there. So in the early days, I was really focused on, you know, kind of helping youth hockey get started in the right direction and growing the game. And, and then I made the transition. I became the director of marketing, um, still overseeing a lot of the fan development stuff, um, was in that role again for four or five years and then, and then became the vice president. Um, I don't, I don't deal as much with the fan development as I used to. We just hired, a, a new director of fan development. Um, her name's Andy Boyman. She was in Nashville for a number of years. She does a great job. So I've kind of passed on a lot of that to her, but because I've been in it for so long, it's hard to it's hard for me to remove myself completely. Right. I still sit on the state board for the high school hockey. Um, I still sit on the board of our AAA program, which is our elite uh, travel program here. And so I still dabble in a little bit, but you know, I'm pretty much focused on uh, on the marketing side. And as I said earlier too, I, I I think what happens when you're when you're with an organization as long as I've been, you, you know, just over time, it's natural that other things get that get 
get put on your plate because there's a comfort level that you you have an understanding of you know a lot of things and um, so I, I, I'm getting more and more involved with as I said with with building operation stuff and things that I never thought I would be spending time on you know parking related stuff and you know things like that but um, but again my, the you know the vast majority of my time is still focused on you know the main the main marketing initiatives. Uh, well, you know, you mentioned earlier, if you're fortunate enough to become a, a team president, I think is what you said. I mean, those are the types of things that start rolling up, as I, I'm sure you're aware. Um, what does your team look like? What does the structure of the, the business look like for you? You mentioned that fan development reports in, but do you also have social media, any other groups as well? Uh, so I have... Uh... I have. Uh, I actually just moved the fan development out. So I, oh. as I said, I kind of dabble in it, but it's. It actually, we decided to move it under our community group. So it reports up through community now. So I, on on paper, I just have my my team of of marketing people as well as um, as well as the creative services people. Now, again, because I've been here for so long, um, you know, I'm very involved on the ticketing side, and I also work very closely with Mark Gregory, who's our VP on the digital side, and oversees all of our social media and, uh, you know, our, our uh, CRM platform and, and those types of things as well. So we, we you know, uh, Mark and I have been here, both of us have been here since the beginning. So, uh, again, Mark and I, you know, we have our hands uh, in a lot of things, and as I said earlier too, it's it, it's different for every team. I, I you know I don't I don't want to give the impression that you know what we do is what the guy you know in Chicago does or the right. guy in Pittsburgh does, and I, I think it's different, and I think it's different depending on where you're at uh, in your in your cycle. Um, I, I find the business very cyclical. Um, everybody goes through the ups and downs. It's just a question of you know how long you can sustain the ups and, and how, you know, how you minimize the lows and, but, but everybody goes through it. And, you know, when you go through those cycles, your focus changes, you know, when you're up and you're doing well, you don't have to focus so much on selling tickets because the tickets sell themselves. And then that frees your time up to focus on other things. Um, you know, if you talk to, I'm trying to think what would be a good example, but, you know, take one of the Canadian markets, like may, maybe the, you know, VP of marketing for the Montreal Canadiens. Well, the Montreal Canadiens don't have any issue selling tickets. So the VP of marketing in Montreal is probably focused on a lot more different things than, than I am and probably more what I would call fun ancillary type things because the pressure to sell tickets is not there. But when you're down in your cycle, you know, you have to focus, you have to focus on, on the sales process and, and the ticketing because the vast majority of revenues come from the ticketing side. So the way I often explain it to people, and, and this is just my opinion, you know, when you're up in your cycle, you market to brand. And when you're down in your cycle, you, you market to sell. Right. No, that makes if that, sense. If that makes sense. No, it makes complete sense. You know, and being in North Carolina and Doug would also, I'm sure, be the first to say, uh, you know, it, uh, it matters what happens on the ice. Uh, now, when the Hurricanes are winning, um, you know, we've got that ACC college community. That place gets really, really loud. Um, but yep. to your point, 
like the Canadians, it's it's the exact opposite. Um, they've got to be winning for that place to fill. So, you know, we, you talked about Columbus a little bit. What's that like for you? Now, you guys are obviously having a, a heck of a season this year. Um, but is Columbus like an Oklahoma City, let's say, in the NBA, where um, they just love their team and they pack it every night? Um, or, you know, are those some of the challenges of being in one of the smaller markets? Well, it's not only a smaller market. It, it, it's a, it's you know, um, you know, comparatively speaking, it's still a non-traditional market as well. Yep. I mean, you know, it's different. You know, as I talk about the cycle, I mean, it's different when you're when you're down in your cycle if you're, you're the Detroit Red Wings versus the Columbus Blue Jackets. You know, we came in in 2000. We really haven't had our our up cycle yet. You know, the team is having a great year this year, yes, but we haven't had. Are, in my opinion, our up cycle yet. So, you know, when you when you have your up cycle, you you fill your wagon, so to speak, right? Like people jump on the bandwagon. That's how I explain it. Like you fill your wagon. So, you know, your your average attend or your average season ticket um, holder base, like you know, our, ours is around ten thousand. Well, that's without an up cycle yet. When we have an up cycle, we may get it up to fourteen thousand. Now, when it when we when we start to go down again, what you hope is you filled enough people on your wagon that maybe instead of dropping back down to ten, it drops down to twelve, so you can sustain the lows a little bit better. Um, but what, what's amazing to me about Columbus is, you know, even though we haven't had that success yet, and we are in a you know relatively new market in the non-traditional market. We we definitely need to grow our fan base, but we have a good core group of people that, even though we haven't been that strong, you know, we still we still maintain a really respectable uh, attendance numbers. Um, you know, even in the downtimes, we're you know we're averaging thirteen thousand fans a game. You know, it, it's amazing to me. You know, it was only twelve, thirteen years ago that the two worst teams in the NHL by far, were Pittsburgh and Chicago. Think about that. No, I know. The Pittsburgh Penguins and the Chicago Blackhawks. Pittsburgh was so bad, they were going to move to Kansas City until Mario stepped in and saved them. Right. And then Chicago, you know, when they drafted Kane and Taves, and started, that's when they started going. But if you can believe this, in those downtimes, Chicago, the Chicago Blackhawks were getting like 5,000 fans a game. That is amazing to me. Yeah, in the United that's, Center, that's and, an empty building. I use I use I use that as an example because that's what I'm most proud of. Like, you know, me and and, and I've had this discussion with Doug many times. You know, what I'm most proud of, and when I judge people in 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 my types of role, don't don't show me what you can do when you're up in your cycle. Show me what you can do when you're down in your cycle. When you're up in your cycle, a lot of things take care of themselves, and a lot of a, a lot of your flaws get hidden. Show show me what you can do when you're down, you know, and how you how do you manage that downtime, and how do you keep it how do you keep it respectable, and it, it that's what's been amazing to me. I mean, I'm proud of the job that we've done, but I'm also very proud of the market, and and I, I've been. I've been very surprised by, you know, uh, just how people have stuck with the team. And, and at the same time, I'm very curious to see when this team does finally start to go, 
what is it going to really be like? I mean, we're doing pretty good, even though the team hasn't done well. What is going to happen? I really think this is going to be an, an incredible market, and I really think that when this team starts to go and has some sustained success, that it's going to be really, really fun to watch and see see how it goes. Because, you know, for a long time, the only thing in this city was Ohio State. But this, as I said earlier, this town is changing. There's a lot of young people moving to Columbus to start their careers, you know, whether that's starting their own business or coming to work for some of the com- companies here. And those people, those young people that are that are coming into Columbus, they don't have any connection to Ohio State. They're not Buckeye fans. Right. They're com- you know, they're, they're so the, so in general the, the the market is the market is changing and I think there's great opportunity um for us to take to take advantage of that and I'm uh you know, I, I saw a little bit of it a few years back when we played Pittsburgh in the playoffs. Now granted it helps that it's Pittsburgh because the proximity and you know, there's a lot of Penguins fans around here and stuff, but to watch this fan base get get fired up, you know, for that playoff series and to see you know, this building have, you know, well over 19,000 people in it and people just going crazy and, 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 and around the city as well. And the pride, I mean, it, it, it becomes a pride thing. It goes back to that, what we were saying earlier about, Hey, you know, Columbus is still a smaller town. And, you know, I think it's taken in some ways, it's taken a backseat perhaps to Cleveland and Cincinnati over the years. And I, I think people here just they they want they're proud of it and they they want to show it off and you know when we can have that success and we can be on national TV every night you know that's that's a chance for them to pound their chest a little bit and say look at us you know we're we're pretty we're pretty darn good yeah you know you mentioned people wanting to come to Columbus so twofold one what's it like to recruit there uh, for your team and, and and what do you look for in those people and then two not that Columbus is the only show in Ohio. But you've got arguably, or maybe inarguably, the best uh, sports administration master's program there uh, in Athens. Um, yep. Do you think that that's a, a a little unfair advantage that you guys have, and that you know some of those graduates may want to stay in state? Uh, I definitely think it's an advantage. I mean, over the years, we and, and we and currently we do. We have a number of OU grads working for us, um, and we have. We have a number of OU uh, interns, you know, at any given time, um, and we work closely. We we work closely with the program down there to do different projects. They, I, I would say, we probably average a project a year, um, you know, with with them. Um, so it's definitely it's definitely an advantage. Um, and, he, and even with the Fisher School of Business at Ohio State, I mean, we do a lot of work with them. So to have a school like that just down the street too is very helpful. Um, we have we have no no problem at all recruiting. I mean, um, there's not a ton of turnover, especially in in, in my department. But um, you know, there's always there's always good people. Um, you know, looking in. And again, going back to some of those things I was mentioning earlier. You know, between just what a great city, cost of living, weather, all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, there's there's plenty of people that uh, you know want to come to Columbus. And it's interesting too. I. You know, when I first started working for the team and I was a little younger, I, I still had buddies, hockey buddies who I had grown up with and stuff who were still in the NHL. Mm. And e- even on that side of the business, you know, they, they would all come in and, you know, I'd go down and see them after the game or whatever. And, and they'd be like, oh, my God, J.D., I had no idea what a great city Columbus was. And, you know, so that's really, you know, changed over the years. I mean, I, 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 just an example, too, I remember when Rick Nash was – 
signing a new contract here a number of years ago, uh, and, you know, and a lot of speculation, especially out of the Canadian market, was that he was going to go to go to Toronto. And I said, because he's from that area, and I'm like, there's no way Rick's going to go to Toronto. I mean, it, and I'm just using round numbers, but if if Rick's making $8 million a year, $8 million in Toronto automatically becomes four with taxes. Yeah. And then look, and then and then look at the cost of living. Eight million dollars in Columbus is worth a heck of a lot more than it is in Toronto. So I, I think the players too, as they've as they've come to know, you know, through through events like the All Star Game, when you know when you have the All Star Game and you know you get the elite players coming in and they they spend a little bit of time here. Again, to a T, every single one of them says, "What a great city," you know. It, it, the cost of living, the restaurants, the bars, all that kind of stuff is great. And, and they don't get, they don't get bothered. Like, you know, Rick was probably the most high profile player we've ever had here. Rick could walk around the streets or the mall and no one would really, really bother him. I mean, same with, you know, whoever you want to say now, Sergei Bobrovsky or Nick Foligno or those guys. Like, I mean, yeah, people might, might say hi or, you know, ask him for an autograph once in a while, but in general, it's a very comfortable place for those guys to live. Yeah. The whole Rick Nash logic. So could you please explain why then Steph Curry wouldn't want to return to the Hornets? Come back home to Charlotte. I mean, come on, Bay yeah, Area I, I versus. Can't, I can't. That's the the NBA is not my forte. I don't know. I can't speak to that. One. I know, man, but I, no, that that makes complete sense with him. And then, just in terms of what you look for, obviously, I know you're looking for hardworking people. You know, coming out of college or whether they're later in their career, maybe looking to you know be promoted from manager to director. Um, what are you looking for? And then two. Um, who have been your mentors over the years? Um, you know, obviously you've had a long run there. You've helped shape the team, but I'm just curious, um, who have been your mentors and maybe some good advice that you've received or given? Oh, uh, well, as far as what I look for, I mean, I, I think as I've gotten older, um, and gone through it a number of times, uh, Yes, you know, hard working for me is a is a big thing. That that's often hard to figure out in an interview process. What you know, what what their work ethic is like. Um, but I often, you know, when I have these discussions with people, um, you know, when when I get it down to let's just say the final three candidates for for a position, um, I don't, you know, I don't really care whether you went to Harvard or you went to Ohio State or you went to the community college down the street. Um, and I don't really care if you had a 4.0 or a 2.8. Like, to me, at that point, when you're down to the final few candidates or whatever, they're all qualified. Or they should be, in my opinion. They're all qualified. So then it becomes about finding the right fit. You want to find people who are the right fit for your group. And, you know, for me, it's become more and more. It's, it's, it's about culture. Um, and the words I, I constantly use with my group, uh, and when I'm addressing, you know, if, if I'm addressing all of our staff, actually, like it, it comes down to two words for me and that's, that's kindness and respect. Um, you know, that, that's, that, those are two really big words for me. And, you know, this is, this can be a really tough business. It can be a grind, especially when you're losing a lot and, you know, it's not fun and, um, you know, you got to keep it, you got to keep it, uh, even keeled. And, you know, um, it, it's not, you know, it's not nine to five. 
you you got to be flexible you you have to under, you have to create a culture for people where you know um they know they have flexibility and um but again, the thing for me, it sounds so simple, but that's I, I, what I believe is, hey, just be kind and respectful, and 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 you know that that takes care of a lot of things. That doesn't mean you can't. That doesn't mean you you can't have differing opinions, and it doesn't mean you can't challenge people, whatever. But you know, when you when you challenge people, just be kind and respectful in the process. Right. Um, and so for me, that's that's a really big thing because I'll, I'll tell you too, the more. You know, as as I've kind of grown through through all this and and moved up the ranks, so to speak, it, having the right people in place is is critical. And it's not just about doing the job; it's about it's about eliminating all the the other crap. Like, you know, when you don't have to deal with you know with drama per se because such and such person doesn't get along with such and such or, you know, or this person's not, you know, the kind, the kind of person you want. Like when you have the right people in place, things just go so much better, so much better. And as I said, it's not just about having people who know the, know how to do the job. It's about having good people. And if you and it's not easy to do. I'm not saying it's easy to do, but when you can find the right people that have the good work ethic, that know what they're doing, and most importantly, are good people and can function in this environment, it makes it so much easier and so much more enjoyable, you know, to come to work and, and to get things done. Well, I asked you like a 12-part question, so nice work. Yeah, right, and the mentor right. part. You asked me about the mentor, too. I, <laughs> you know, it's funny. Uh, though the one person that I <laughs> – the one person that I constantly go back to is, is the person that was really a, a person in the beginning. And that was – his name is Greg Jameson. He was the president of the San Jose Sharks. Um he was in the NBA before that. Uh, he was with the Sharks for a long time. He was involved for a little bit with the group that was trying to buy the um, the, the Arizona Coyotes. Um, but Greg Jamison, uh, you know, for me, looking back all these years, um, is the person that I that I really look up to. I I, I still keep in touch with him. Um, but there, but there's been good people. I mean, you know, I don't want to say they're all mentors, but I, I've been fortunate to, to work over the years with a number of different people who've come, who have a, a, a number of different backgrounds and different sports. And you know, even those, even those people who you might not get along with, and you know, you don't necessarily consider a mentor. They, they're very experienced, and you know, you you learn things from them. And um, you know, I've had I've had some really some really good people over the years, um, you know, kind of to, to show me the way, so to speak. And you need, you need people to, you need people to, to believe in you and to, and to give you opportunities. Um, uh, you know, I was very fortunate at one point that, uh, a gentleman who's no longer with us named Larry Hefner, um, he oversaw the business side of our organization and, you know, he gave me an opportunity to to make that leap from the director of fan development to the director of marketing, and then and then gave me opportunities, you know, to get more involved, um, you know, with the organization. And you need that sometimes. You need people to to believe in you and to give you opportunities. And that doesn't always happen. And there's probably a lot of good people who 
um, you know, who don't get the opportunities just because they don't they don't have somebody that's you know kind of leading them along and pro- and providing them those opportunities. And since you're having so much success on the ice this year, you're able to, like you said, market to the brand. So what's next for you, your team, uh, and the Blue Jackets? Well, what, what, what's interesting for us is in 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 uh, in, in 17 years, um, including this season. Well, let, let's take before that. So up until up until this season, in the past 16 years, we've only been to the playoffs twice, and both times we went to the playoffs. We really didn't know we were in the playoffs until like the last game of the season. What's amazing this year is that because of the team's success and because of the way they've won, I mean, that 16-game winning streak was huge. You know, we pretty much know now, yes, it's possible we don't, but we pretty much know now that we're going to be in the playoffs. So it allows us to be better prepared. I mean, just little things that the average person wouldn't think about. So, you know, when you don't know you're going to be in the playoffs to the last game of the season and then the playoffs start, start four days later, you don't have, you don't have time to like order giveaways and stuff for the fans. Like you can't turn around 20,000 t-shirts in four days, you know, and and things like that. So, you know, the fact that we have time to plan now, and to leverage. So, you know, we're going to go out with renewals earlier than we normally would. We're going to leverage the playoffs more than we ever have because, because we can, because we're in a position to do that. Right. You know, I've already, I started creative, you know, running in the market, you know, last week, basically saying, Hey, listen, if you want playoff tickets, the way to guarantee your playoff tickets is to buy some sort of blue jackets ticket plan. And that's, that's how you're going to guarantee yourself playoff tickets. Um, you know, so, so being able to leverage the playoffs, um, and to focus on those things to, to get ahead of your planning, um, for the playoffs, it just makes it so much easier when you have a pretty good sense in June, in January that you're going to be in the playoffs when, when you don't know you're in the playoffs until April, it's really hard to, it's really hard to plan, you know, properly. Sure. JD, this has been awesome. I appreciate you taking the time. Um, really cool career and great to hear the perspective from, like you said, maybe that non-traditional market and a city that I just feel like I'm just hearing more and more about in Columbus. So thank you for coming on and hopefully our paths cross again soon. Yeah, my pleasure. If you ever need anything, just let me know. Thanks for listening to the Front Office Exchange, where you hear about the careers of some of the leading executives in sports business. Visit us at frontofficeexchange.com, on Facebook, at Front Office Exchange, and on Twitter, at Front Office EXCH, to access past episodes, show notes, and much, much more. <laughs>